So tonight I want to start with Pinterest. <laughs> Not usually a topic you hear from the pulpit. Some men are saying, shut up. Some women are like, please talk more about it. So look, I, I'm, Pinterest kind of fascinates me. I, I'm fascinated by the things people can find and, and, and do with it. What, what I would consider ordinary junk or trash, or I look at it, and I'm like, dude, that's just a hanger. I don't know what you're going to do with that. There's a beautiful purpose that comes out on the other end, and I've seen stuff on Pinterest that is amazing, and, and I would have never imagined. And, and while that's not the topic tonight, it gets us thinking about the topic of being repurposed, right? Being repurposed for something different. And the main topic I want to talk about tonight is, is salvation. Salvation is something we can throw around a lot and we understand what it is, but man, how quickly we move off of the topic. I'm fascinated uh, with just the concept. Uh, how easily I, and I, I always, I'll say we a lot, but I'm really saying me, can take it for granted. It's just, yep, I acknowledge it. I move right out and on to the next thing. I'm fascinated with it. I'm fascinated with the fact that we're given salvation. Have you ever stopped to just think about it? You know, most of us do daily devotions and, and, and we read the word. But aside from all of that and aside from our daily walk and our daily life, have you ever just stopped to think about what salvation really is and, and consider it? I'm, I'm fascinated by the fact of being redeemed. Like, I cannot fathom it because it doesn't work in my logic. I, I can't understand, um, but I do it all the time I, because I sit there and I ponder and I say, how in the world? How, how? How does that happen? Why? Why in the world would that happen? I've looked at myself and the equation doesn't make sense. I wouldn't save me. I wouldn't redeem you. I've got nothing worthy of polishing up and selling it lazy daisy. Ah, I know what that is. Um, fortunately, so does my checkbook, but I do know what that is. So I want to start first with the past. Now, I don't ever like and we're never to glorify or revel in the past. We're not to live in the past. We're to have our eyes forward. However, the past is very important to understand what it is. Hosea 1.10 says, Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be as the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And it shall come to pass, in the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, there it shall be said to them, You are the sons of the living God. Not a typical scripture that I usually read, but the picture that this presents is something we need to understand. It's speaking about Jews' unfaithfulness to God. If you've, ever wrote, uh, if you've ever read Hosea, the Lord had told Hosea to marry Gomer. She was, for all intents and purposes, a harlot, adulteress, unfaithful, rebellious. But because the Lord told him to do it, he did it, and he was faithful. And God used that picture as a picture of what he was going to do with Israel. Israel was rebellious. And all the things that came along with that, walking through it, 
and being obedient to God, Hosea allows us to see the redeeming love of God, regardless of what the past is. Prior to salvation, and and again, I'm going to talk about salvation a lot. Prior to salvation, we were unfaithful to God. And I would love to discuss with that afterwards if you have a problem with that. But the fact of the matter is, regardless, prior to accepting Christ as Savior, we were all unfaithful to God. We chased after anything and everything and put other things on the throne of our hearts. Spurgeon said, sovereign grace can make strangers into sons. And that's exactly what the Father has for us. Sovereign grace. So I, and this is not where I say we, I was so ungodly prior to salvation. When I heard God's word, it seared me. Whenever I heard his word, regardless of what it was, even something that's not technically a salvation message, it could have been anything, but in my heart and my conscience, I heard the Lord say, you are not my people. And it was sad and condemning. But the enemy and his tactics are extremely cunning, and soon that thought would go out of my mind and be replaced by something else, busyness of the world or fill in the blank. Paul stated in 1 Timothy 1.15, he says, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And I could easily argue with Paul that that's my line. I could easily say that I was chief. And I think many of us in here, if we're honest with ourselves, could easily say the same thing. Not that we would want to argue with Paul. I, I, trust me, I would never do that. But I could say that. It's perfect description of, of my life. Um, and, and I think we could as well. We could relate to that at some point in our walk. Prior to accepting Christ, we could say that. And when we came into contact with God's word, we knew deep down we were not his people. And, and that's, that's one of the things that when, you, when we, prior to salvation, allow that to sink in into our heart, we could accept it. But prior to that, we basically would give that the Heisman. Like, I'm not hearing that. Nope, nope, nope. But we could say it. Uh, And I believe that we can still allow that to creep in if we listen to the whispering and the tactics of the enemy, even if you are saved. However, prior to being saved, that's what we were. Before Christ set us free, we were not his people. You know, I I distinctly remembering uh, back in 2006, about 12 years ago, walking in into our old location, CCR, we had just moved from Robius Middle School into the new location, well, the old location, but it was new to us then, into uh, the business park. I would come in, sit down at the rear right-hand side by the window, and I distinctly remember hearing the words, and I have no idea what the message was. It was not a, a, a uh, salvation message, but it was for me, and in those words, I distinctly remember it, it, it was sunny outside, 
you know, I was in like the fourth row from the back on the right-hand side, and in the, the words of the Lord, in the scripture being read, the Lord said, you're not mine, you're not my people. Not yet. And, and it really was a, a wake-up call for me. Um, at, that was the point I knew it. I, I knew I, I was not the Lord's, and I needed to change. And then for each of us, and, and, and all of us have a different moment. All of us have a different situation where the Lord directly spoke to us. Some, some was in a service, and you walked down the aisle. Some, you were camping. You were out in the woods by yourself, and the Lord spoke to you in the still and quietness, away from all the busyness. Some of you, the Lord spoke to you in a travesty or something that was a hardship, and you finally were open to hearing from the Lord. But each of us has something. There was a moment when our hearts were broken, those walls came down, and we reached out, and we said yes. And that last part of Hosea 1.10 applied to us. When we weren't before, we now were. And, and, and at that moment, it, whether it was the same scripture you might have heard somewhere, whether it was a, the same ministry that you might have attended before where you were hearing the words, you know, you're not his, whether... Uh, it was with the same people. Now when you heard that scripture, you said, absolutely. That last part of verse 10 applied to you. You are now the sons of the living God. And remember, sons, you can read sons and daughters in that. Hosea 2, the following chapter, verses 19 and 20 state, and this is the Lord speaking, saying, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice in loving kindness and mercy, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. And if you skip over to verse 23, the very last part of 23, it says, you are my people. So you have a contrast, and this picture in Hosea is to show the ends of the earth, and what God is willing to love and bring in. And while you may not have been his prior, you are now. And of course, that's the past. We all have one, um, and, and we all have our own stories. And, and praise the Lord, that, that's called a testimony. That's what you use to witness to others. Hey, this is my life, and there's nothing you can say about it because it happened to me, and I know it backwards and forwards. And that brings us to the current Right, so, so that was our past, and now it brings us to our current. And you, you guys probably know this verse. You, we've read it before. It's, it's one of, I have about three or four um, favorite verses. This is literally one of them. Um, simply because of the promise that it holds and the reassurance that it has within the Scripture itself. The reassurance of being new. It's 2 Corinthians 5.17. It says, therefore, if any wasn't in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. I love this verse. And I hold on to this verse all the time. And if any of you are ever around me, I'm talking to someone who may be a, a brand new believer or someone who's struggling with their faith. I bring this verse up all the time because we have to remind ourselves of this all the time. New. You're new. It says you're a new creation, not you have a new wrapper on the outside. You're new on the outside, you're new on the inside by accepting Christ and being washed, right? So I love this verse. 
I love to say it to people, even people who are, I know that are believers, because it's a reminder. Um, we have a tendency, and we'll get into it, sometimes we can go back to the old ways, right? The old paths that we should have dug up and, 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 and left in the background. And this is a reminder. We're new. We don't do the old. You know, I, I love new. I, lo- I like it. I love the new car smell. Never had a new car. I like the smell of other people's new cars. New stuff, whatever it is. It's, it's because it's, it's new. You get to unwrap it. It's brand new. No one's ever touched it. It's yours. And that's how we are when we accept Christ as Savior. We are brand new. We are, regardless of what we just talked about in the past, all of that is gone. There's two people, and I've talked about this all the time. I love it. There's only two people that remind you of your past sin. The enemy and you. You are brand new. Old sins, as far as the east is from the west, means it's immeasurable. You know, Scripture says he will remember it no more. Not forget, won't remember. I love it. Aren't you glad that old things have passed and are gone? I mean, can I get an amen? That's awesome. I, I, I love it. I love the old is gone. I'm so glad my old self is gone. I, I couldn't even put into words to you. My, I mean, this is honestly, this is a family. This is like a fireside chat. This is like the family. I couldn't even put into words how happy I am that the old is gone. Like, I, it, I, I, used a, uh, I bring it up to the youth group all the time, and I've used it before, but it's the best analogy I've ever come up for this. And I've, I've said it before, but it, it, it begs mentioning it again. It's like for, for when you've done yard work, when it's 90 degrees outside with 100% humidity, or you played a sport and you're done with your game, and you finally come back, and you take a shower, and you, you get done, and you're looking at the old clothes that you, you like, nasty, dirty, tattered, stinking. You're like, oh, gee, those look great. I'll put those back on. Do you do that? No, we don't do that. We're clean. We turn and put the clean clothes on, and that's exactly what we have to do and what we do as believers over and over again. Uh, simply accepting by faith that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, taking our penalty upon himself, buried and rose on the third day, forever breaking the bondage of sin and the bondage that was placed upon us and making a way for us to fellowship with the Father. I mean, that's ecstatic. When, when th- These are all things that when you just consider salvation at all, these should th- this type of topic should come back in. Like, remember where I brought you from and where I pulled you out of. As a reminder, like, hey, wake up. So the song we say on Sunday is probably one of my most favorite. It is for freedom that I have been set free. I love that. Love the song because it's for freedom that we've been set free. We didn't get set free to go back into slavery. You know, Jesus didn't rescue me to go back and put myself in a change I used to be in. It was so I could be free. Free of everything. Free from all the stuff that the enemy throws at me that makes me, reminds me of the past like 30 years. I'm free from all that. We are free from that. The other song I love, because of, if you look at the words, the impact it has, justice and mercy meet at the cross. 
See, our salvation didn't come easy. It didn't come free. It wasn't painless. Our, our sin had penalty. It had to be paid. And that justice was served at the cross when Jesus stretched out his arms and died for us. But mercy was at the cross too. Because because of his sacrifice, I don't have to endure that. And I'm free now. I love that. In our new self, we, we walk and, and we're encouraged by brothers and sisters and, and we start to grow and we start to press in and we start to read and, and the Lord teaches us his will through his word. Um, sometimes we're corrected by a brother or sister and that's beautiful. That is okay. If you are ever corrected lovingly by a brother or sister, even in scripture we're told to praise the Lord for that. That's a beautiful thing uh, because all that does is in the, in, in the military, we have left and right limits. You go outside the left and right limits on our firing range, you're good to get shot. When the Lord puts left and right limits in, and he sends someone along to say, get back over. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So as we're going through and we start to walk in this newness of life, we're reminded of John 15, 16 that says, uh, you did not choose me. But I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. We're saved to bear fruit. We are free, and, and there is no legalism on that. We are free, but we're saved to bear fruit for the Lord. And, and that, that happens, just people seeing that we're free and we're no longer bondage and slaves of the sin we used to be in. That bears fruit, just the testimony of your walking your faith out. And we have victory. We see victory, and we begin to press in. And, and, and if you look back to when you first accepted Christ, on fire, right? On fire, and you loved it, and you didn't care, and you moved out, and you just walked with open arms. You went to any ministry you could. You went to every fellowship opportunity that was possible, and it was beautiful, and it still is beautiful. And then we move into the future. And then, life. Then we have life. And life piles up. Mark 4, verses 18 and 19, and, and all of you are familiar with this. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. <laughs> what takes place here is the unfruitfulness from the last verse where we were just told to go and bear fruit. And the Lord sought us out to free us and, and for us to bear fruit. Revelations 2.4. This is a very sobering verse that I have to remind myself of because on the outside and, and the very prior to this verse... There's a lot going on, and it looks beautiful. There's a lot happening. It looks like a very strong body. And, and this could be said of a person. You know, this per, a person could look strong, could look, I mean, they're in everything. They're helping out here. They're helping out there. They're in every ministry. They're doing everything, and they're, they're busy, and they're, they're crazy. And it looks like they're on fire. And Revelation 2.4 says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. There's busyness, and, and, and I, I get it all the time. 
That's why I love coming here. There's business of the world. There's work. There's life. There's family. All of that. But then there's busyness we place on ourselves, and we just keep going and going, and then the priority sometimes is left, and we forget. We forget how beautiful salvation is, that we can rest in that. It's not about what we do and how much we do, but that we're saved. We got to remember what our salvation looks like, what it feels like, and not get caught up in that. Hebrews 2.1 is actually the verse the Lord gave me for this portion of the section. The writer of Hebrews says in verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And and this is that, that pinch of warning. And why I want to always encourage that we, we take time to remember our salvation and just dwell on it. Oh my gosh, how beautiful the salvation is that we have. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, we've got to be careful and, and, and listen and, and do what we've been told, lest we drift away. And the, uh, the actual Hebrew definition of this because everyone, when I say drift away, everyone else, ha- you have a picture in your mind. I'm very visual. You have a picture in your mind. When I hear drift away, I, I, I picture a leaf blown away. Um, but the actual Hebrew picture of this would be a very slow drift, a very slow fade almost, if you will. The writer of Hebrews was concerned about the believers that he was writing, drifting back into the life that they used to have. Drifting back into the bondage, slowly, unassuming, but that they used to be under. And, and this was concerning because they had been rescued from that. This text refers to the fact that sometimes drifting really isn't noticeable. If it's large, everyone can see it. But when it happens really small, a little here, a little there, it's almost unnoticeable. You know, the old adage of putting a frog in a pan of water and turning the heat up actually works. I've never done it. But it makes sense, right? Frog never notices how hot the water's, get, the water's getting until it's too late. Sometimes things are taking place that we don't realize are taking place. We have to have a watchful eye for that, and that's why brothers and sisters in Christ and having accountability is so important. It usually comes through carelessness, not knowing, and not really paying attention to your surroundings. We have to check our spiritual surroundings. That is an active part. It's not something you can do once a week and be done and check the box. Hey, hey I'm good for the week. Shoot, sometimes you got to do it every hour. You know, I, I'm, an, I'm an Army guy. I like, we have a couple Navy guys. I don't think we have Air Force. It, it doesn't matter. If, I, if, if you're Air Force or Marines, this is not against you. And I'm not even going to knock the Navy guys. But I'm an Army guy. I like the ground. I'll parachute, no problem with getting airborne. But I like the ground. I like the beach. 
I like the water that comes up on the beach. Beyond that, <laughs> y'all can have that. The deep blue sea, nope, no thanks. No, there's no scuba diving or snorkeling for me at all. Uh, uh, certainly not submarines. If you've ever been on a submarine and had a chance to tour really tight quarters, it's like you're going in this small piece of metal for how long? How many sticks of deodorant do you have? Now, did you know that it's not as if when the subs push out from port, the underwater landscape is unmapped? That's, it's been mapped. Uh, there are very few portions that are probably unmapped for the most part. It's well known. And those are plotted and programmed into electronics so the subs don't have a problem and don't have to ping as much as they used to. However, back in the day, subs would have to ping all the time. And they would measure their depth and measure their surroundings where the rock formations were by the time and the space that ping took to come back. It's really familiar with uh, blue whales and, and, and dolphins do, right? Echolocation type. They did it all the time because if a sub too far down hits something, it's going down. There's no room for mistake. And from some of the submarine guys I've talked to, it's a very serious game. If I'm on the ground in an Abrams tank, <laughs> I'm all right. I'm not going to drown. I can always pop the hatch and get out. But not then. They had to constantly check their physical surroundings. And I bring, I bring that up for a reason. You know, one really doesn't have to do anything to slowly drift away. You really don't. It's not as if you have to wake up one morning and think, I'm going to go do this. And that instigates and starts the drifting. You don't have to do anything. You know, Edmund Burke, you guys know this, says, The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Evil will triumph because there's nothing there to stop it. We will drift just by doing nothing. D.L. Moody said, there is little backsliding when people love the scriptures. Ooh, I didn't say it. He said it. There is little backsliding, little backsliding by people who love the scriptures. Why? Because if, you're, if you love the scriptures, you're in the scriptures and you want to be obedient to God's word. I mean, if I had to do it kind of down and dirty. He also said, what iniquity is there in God that you have left him and gone far from him? I read that and I, I said, I have to read that because I need to, I, I'm going to say that to myself. Because, you know, when you feel distant from God, <laughs> it wasn't him that moved. It was me. It was us. And that can happen by slow drifting. For those of you, I, I like cars, you guys know that. And I was going to get pretty technical, but I'll, I'll bring it up a notch for those that don't drive a manual car. What happens when you're driving, if all of a sudden you just put your car in neutral, what happens? Eventually, your car is coming to a dead stop. You're no longer traveling at the speed you needed to travel at, and it's going to cause a problem. You know, I was speaking with uh, my brother, uh, Jason, who's out, you know, out and about, and uh, this was a couple weeks ago. We were going back and forth. It was awesome. And uh, 
I was asking a bunch of questions because the Lord kind of, because I'm a visual guy, the Lord put this on, on, on my mind, and, and I don't know Navy. He does, and he was really good at giving me the answers back. So a naval, you have, everyone's heard of a, like a carrier. It's ginormous. There's a naval, you know, we're going to talk about a Navy destroyer, which also is pretty large. But a Navy destroyer, uh, I will say weighs, but in Navy, you do water displacement, 9,600 tons, not pounds, 9,200 tons, excuse me. It has two anchors. I'm going to say front and back because I don't know port ass. I don't know any of that. Front and back, two anchors. The anchors weigh 13,000 pounds. All right? So if those of you who go fishing, this trumps your anchor. 13,000 pounds. So, and this is what got me and why I want to bring it up. A naval destroyer that, weigh, that, that weighs 9,200 tons, in my eyes, would be immovable. But did you know if it doesn't drop its anchors, it can drift three nautical miles in less than an hour? Three miles in less than an hour, 9,200 tons, and that's not even in a storm. So if you think, if we think, being believers, that we're not going to drift, let's, let's, let's think about that. If a naval destroyer drifts three miles and it weighs that much, we will drift too. But I like, I like pictures. Now, to combat this, the naval destroyer has several systems in place. And I'm going to relate that to what we have in place as believers. You know, it's checking and rechecking its bearing. You know, we have GPS in cars, but that doesn't even come close to what the GPS the military has. Like, your car GPS doesn't deal in 10-digit grid coordinates. Navy's even worse right? Their pinpoint accuracy is really precise. So if you look at GPS that that has, that would really be like accountability for us. Hey, hey, bro, where you at? Where you been? I haven't seen you lately. Missed you at the men's prayer. Missed you at Bible study. Would love to see you come out. It's a little, hey, you coming to the women's fellowship? It's got mechanical systems in place that constantly run. There's Things that are running in the background, systems running in the background, always checking and, and, and adjusting course for how the oncoming current is. You know, we have ongoing things too. It's called fellowship. It's called fellowship. You know, there's times where I, as a believer, have, have walked out and, and, and really, I'm too busy. Too busy at time of life. I've got too much going on. My job, I, I, all I want to do all I want to do on a Friday night is sit on my couch, have pizza, and watch TV. But there's a Friday night fellowship. It's going to be at somebody's house. There's like a bunch of families that are going. Eh. One becomes two. Two becomes all. Right? And you start to drift. And that fellowship, you start to lose that fellowship. We have things that we constantly have for people to come and be poured into or, or really be locked in arms with others. And then 
they have anchors to hold it in place. You know, when they drop those anchors, it's pretty good. It's not going to drift that long, that much. It'll drift a little bit just because that's the way the waves work. We have God's word. That's our anchor. We have God's word. You know, there are times when I did not feel like doing a, a, a devotion in the morning before work. I am not good that day without my devotion. However, if I start and anchor myself in that devotion, even if it's one scripture and maybe a little, a, a, just some, you know, expounding on it, I can now think about that all day long and whatever the world throws at me, I'm not going too far because I'm thinking about the scripture I read earlier. Um, so in verse 1, remember, whenever we hear that therefore, it's always talking about the stuff preceding it. So in chapter 1, it reinforces the fact that Jesus is superior to angels. Yes, that is correct. In case you were doubting that, Jesus is much superior to angels. So we have to pay close attention to Jesus. And, and, and I actually wrote in my notes because, you know, I, I, I type like I think, and I obviously teach like I talk, which is very conversational. I wrote down, they're going to know that, Scott. Thank, thank you, Captain Obvious. But it's for a reason. All right, it's called a reminder. It's called a reminder. We've got to have reminders. Hebrews 2.1 doesn't end with a statement of drifting, right? So verses 2 through 4, and I'll read that. It says, For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord... And was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. You know, angels pronounced prophecy and announcements, and they were greatly feared. Words were adhered to and followed. Uh, and if disobedient or there was sin, there was due justice. H how in the world could we ever escape the judgment um, and justice that is required from us for what we've done. And don't pay attention to such a greatest salvation that we're offered, such a greatest salvation that Jesus gives us or that we here have already received. We, we can't look at the salvation we have and brush it off and not like, look at it every morning. Oh, my gosh. If you look at what took place for you, what took place for me, it's incredible. I could literally not work all day and just think about the different ways to look at that and how weighty it is. I mean, Jesus pretty much showed us his resume with the signs and wonders, miracles and gifts. You know, it's a reason why we shouldn't stop paying attention to our salvation, why we should be ever more cautious to not start drifting. And how we really have to be diligent to prevent that. Not only in ourselves, but keeping an eye on our brothers, uh, who I love. Like, I, it would, f in my flesh, pain me to come up and talk to a brother in love and, and bring something up. But at the same time, oh my gosh, I love him too much not to. Right? Um, you know... If you haven't taken time to thank God for salvation, I, I highly encourage it. Um, 
in your next Devo, it'll remind you of what God has done for you and what your Savior has done for you. He saved you out of how far he's brought you. Have you ever stopped to look at how far Jesus has brought you? I don't have, I don't have a measuring tape long enough. Like, I just don't. Because every different thing he's brought me out of, I'd have to use a different measuring stick, and, and it's impossible. But to do that, it, it gets you back in the right frame of mind for how powerful, how awesome, but how much grace he's given us and how beautiful it is. He wanted to do that. He called us out because he loves us. You know, taking time to remember is imperative because it really rekindles that love for the sacrifice that he did for you. So the enemy will throw things at you. He'll throw things at us all the time to doubt our salvation. Trust me, it happens to me all the time. And I'm not just paying lip service to that comment. He throws things at me all the time. You know what? Scott, you didn't have a walk down the aisle experience. You didn't walk down the aisle when there was a salvation call and raise your hand. <laughs> You're not saved. You didn't do this. You haven't done that. And if you're constantly in his word, you can recall a scripture that says, uh-uh, Satan. God's promise tells me otherwise. So you take that white noise away. But he's always, the enemy is always there and will always try and make you doubt your salvation. There's easy scriptures. I say it all the time. I love Romans 10.9. That's my other one of my favorites because it's so simple. It's so simple. Confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart. That's it. It's beautiful. But when the enemy comes as you're thinking of the salvation you have and, and you haven't done something or you woke up and you thought something that you're like, oh, that's, that's my old self. I'm, look, you know, you have a thought and you push it out. The enemy goes, aha, I got you. Not saved. That's not what Scripture says. You know, when Jesus was tempted and the enemy and, and Satan came up to him, how did Jesus respond? Scripture. And the thing is, Satan used Scripture too to twist it. So you respond back to any of that whispering from the enemy with Scripture. That's what you do. Because that salvation was freely offered and you freely accept it. I love when I can remember that and hold tight to it. It's just noise. So my recommendation is to, is to drop the anchors. we got to drop our anchors in the, in, in, in the Word of God or we're going to drift away. Um, you know, praise Jesus for his sacrifice. Ephesians 2, 11 and 12, it, and I paraphrase it here, it actually tells us a command. It says, Therefore remember that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's why sometimes we have to remember the past. We have to remember we were hopeless, hopeless, hopeless. We're told in Scripture to remember that because what does that do? That makes you all the more earnestly hold on and pull in and, and become thankful. Verse 13, though, 
if you've turned there. But now. I love the scripture that says, but God. There's also, but now. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You were once not his people. Now you are his people. 2 Samuel twenty two forty seven says, The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted, the rock of my salvation. Blessed be the rock of our salvation. Remember that you were lost, and he saved you with a beautiful salvation. No one can take that away from you. Never forget it, because it's because of that salvation. We're free, and we're richly blessed. As I said earlier, remembering our salvation resets our way of thinking and gets you back into loving his word and and why you want to be in his word and why you want to grow in him. It's a debt we can never repay, ever. But we don't have to repay it. We can do that with our lives. Lifting our voices in worship, worshiping him through the day and reading his word, living our life for him. Sovereign grace. It's what he did for us. Is salvation. We had a past. Remember how you came to him, what he did for you, and, and never let go. And, and don't brush the remembrance of salvation off. Bring it to your mind all the time, and it will re-spark that fire of why you love him, why you love him.